Hello, everybody. Welcome back. It is interview week here on the Most Pleasant Exhaustion podcast, and today we're talking to Tess Sobomian Marshall. As you'll hear her say, Tess is the director, the founder of Running Nerds, which is a uh, local race organization uh, here in uh, in the Atlanta area. So she has a lot of interesting things to say about how she got involved in running, and of course, then how she ultimately got involved in in race directing and race organizing. We think you'll appreciate what she has to say. Uh, don't forget. You can always reach out to me, George, at george at itlcoaching.com. And you can reach out to Patrick directly at patrick at itlcoaching.com. Then, of course, if you just want to send us a general email about the podcast, you can reach out to us at pleasantpodcast at gmail.com. Without further ado, let's get into our conversation with Tess Sobomian Marshall. We're going to present our interview with Tess here a little bit differently than we presented interviews in the past. We had some audio difficulties when we recorded with Tess a few days ago, and if you download the podcast when we first posted it, you might have noticed that. Um, so instead, we pulled the podcast down, and I went to work on it a little bit, and instead I'm going to kind of narrate us through a lot of the things that Tess had to say. Now, Tess, as I mentioned in the introduction, is the founder of Running Nerds, and uh, Running Nerds is a race management organization. They put on races all over the Atlanta area, mostly in town in Atlanta. Uh, their best known races are the Monday Night Brewing 10 Miler, the Atlanta 20K Relay, um, and a few others. Um, but she is going to tell us about a new race towards the end here called The Race, which is a half marathon that's taking place this October. Um, but we started off with Tess simply enough by asking her how she got into running. Uh, well, uh, I've tried to make this the shortest story possible because it was definitely like a process, but I'm going to see if I can do it in a minute or less. But basically, I was a basketball athlete growing up. Um, I coached basketball for several years um, at the college and high school level, and I always joke that basketball players were the laziest athletes when it comes to running. Like, we don't <laughs> like to run. The more running we'll do is for a fast break to get a layup at the other end of a pass. So, um, running and distance running in general was not something that I did growing up. But around 31, 32, I started realizing that going and playing pickup basketball was not going to be the best form of exercise for me in my adult years. So I just was getting older. And um, so I would always see people running down the street and I always think to myself, man, that must be great to be able to just go out and run. So um, you'll see a, a theme in all, any story I tell is I'm a very action-oriented person. I like talking about such and long. So I decided to sign up for a 5K in Atlanta. It was a Susan G. Komen, Grace for the Cure, because um, I had a, a, a connection with a lot of the um, breast cancer awareness walks and things like that. I had seen that a lot. So I signed up for that race, and my goal was just to be able to run the whole time and finished a 5K, and I never ran three miles continuously up to that point. So I did that race in May of 2010. Um, really enjoyed the process, was proud of myself, didn't know any runners. So I was pretty much just, and I was kind of new to Facebook at that time, so, you know, at that time it was like, hey, I did a 5K, and I had, like, my mom and a couple other people like, good job. <laughs> 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 What's the 5K, you know? And so... um 
another almost year went by, and a friend of mine um, asked me if I wanted to sign up for a 10K, and it was a sham rock and roll 10K that they do every year at Atlantic Station. And at that point, I hadn't ran again since that 5K, but I was like, hey, I'll take the challenge. So it was me and a couple of other um, friends. We got dressed up in our St. Patrick's gear. We, we would train, you know, and try to try to build up our, our distance. I'm sorry, our time on foot, not distance. We didn't focus on distance. My goal was to be able to run the whole 10K without having to walk. And so I did that race. That was 2011. And from there, I really, I think, caught the bug because I saw how, you know, how I could improve and how I got better. So I decided to, um, I thought I was going to start a run group that catered towards, you know, African-American women in the city because I didn't see a lot of representation of African-American women at these races that I had done. But literally within that same week when I had that thought, I saw a call to action for Black Girls Run ambassadors. So Black Girls Run came to Atlanta and, uh, in, August, in April of 2011, and they were asking for women to be run leads. So I signed up to be a run lead for Black Girls Run, found this whole uh, community of women that were looking for ways to get into running. Um, I, I was one of the founding leaders for the BGR Atlanta chapter. That grew. Um, and really the rest of the history from there, that was not the short version. I'm getting better. But um, <laughs> but that's really how it started. No, that's really how it started. I give full credit to Black Girls Run for my personal start in running. Um, and, you know, just having a place where someone could go if they had even the inkling of wanting to become a runner, that's what PGR has been to a lot of women um, around the nation. Well, so given the fact that both Patrick and I are runners who have never had the desire to direct a race, uh, we were then curious to ask Tess about what is it that made her go from running races to pretty quickly starting to organize races and bring people together for races. Uh, and she started off by talking a little bit about how she had a background in basketball and in basketball coaching uh, and how her orientation towards action, her desire to build things and get things done, uh, inspired her to, to begin directing races and bringing people together that way. As I mentioned, I was a basketball coach um, at the college level, and a lot of times I would go on uh, my own basketball camp so when I was going out and running all these different races, I just started to pay attention to these races, and I was like, man, this would be cool to put on a 5K. Like, this looks fun. So I actually started, my first 5K that I ever put on was the Running Nerds 5K, which used to be in West Midtown. Um, so, of course, with any great organization, you started with a Facebook page, right? So well, yeah. I started. Facebook page called Running Nerds, and this, this Facebook page was meant to, one, help garner some interest for a 5K, get people talking about all the nerdy things that come along with becoming a runner. Uh, finding ourselves really nerding out over running, so that's, that's why Running Nerds is, was the, the original name of the initiative. So, yeah, we, um, we started the Facebook page. We put on the 5K. And really, it just became a, a, a community. It's a company, but it's also a community. You know, anyone who is nerdy about running, which if you're planning your weekends, your early morning runs, your nutrition, your 
conversations are all about running, then you're a running nerd. So we're all running nerds. <laughs> right That's fantastic. And now you mentioned putting on that, that first 5K. Uh, what year was that? So that was 2012. Uh, we launched the Running Nerds Facebook page in January of 2012. Uh, I think I did on January 1st. So we always celebrate the establishment of Running Nerds was January 2012. And the race, uh, Running Nerds 5K, was on um, April, I think it was April 14th, 2012. And we did that race for three three years, I think we did it. Um, and, you know, that evolved into the series of races that you see now, which is our Run Social Race series. Um, it, it all evolved just from wanting to put on awesome events that, that runners can enjoy, which yeah. try to cater to competitive runners all the way to the casual runner that just likes to do a fun race. So with that, Tess began directing road races. Uh, we appreciated the fact that she talked about nerding out about running, since, after all, that's the primary theme of this podcast. Uh, 2010, she had never run a road race, never run a 5K, and in 2012, she was directing road races and directing 5Ks and organizing them and managing them. Uh, given that, Patrick and I were interested in what sort of lessons that she learned from those early race directing experiences. When I look at what the process that... I go through now to put on a race, I don't know how the heck I put on that first 5K. Like, the, the things that I do now that, that I know I wasn't doing in 2000, I don't know if running is just involved or, like, any, all the way from, like, getting the course pwned to, you know, packet pickup, like, I don't know. I mean, it was just all passion. Like, everything was all passion. And it is still all passion. That's one thing that I never want to lose. I don't want to become this, like, race series that's all corporate and electronic. Like, when you email me or call me, you're talking to me. It's not some, you know, operator that is trained to tell you da-da-da-da. But so I say all that today, you know, we had to get better at processes because, you know, the races were getting more and more popular. Um, and, you know, when you want to provide great customer service to runners because runners are, you know, they're they're picky bunch. So, Honestly, just I've always had great people around me to help out with different things, volunteers, things like that. Um, you know, I've always been really good about bartering with with organizations and companies to to work with me. So I think we've just gotten better at that, and we've established some great relationships that have carried over. Like I can say, I've been working with certain um, entities for five, six, and seven years now. Like that, I'm proud of that. You know, the fact that we can say. This is our seventh year putting on our ATL relay in Castleberry Hills. Mm-hmm. All those businesses know us. They they appreciate the races. You know, this will be our sixth year doing the race with Monday Night Brewing, and we have a, a great relationship with them. So, you know, just building a foundation and, 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 and um, creating a foundation and building upon that, that's been the biggest kind of lesson over the years. Next, I wanted to go back to something that Tess had brought up in the early part of the interview. Uh, She had mentioned that she started running uh, through an organization called Black Girls Run. Black Girls Run is probably an organization that you've seen in cities around the United States, including here in Atlanta, uh, that 
is aimed at providing a space that is comfortable and welcoming to African-American women uh, and that encourages them to get fit through running. Uh, it's an organization that I think is fantastic, um, and I think it's encouraging uh, high rates of participation, higher rates of participation. Uh, I'm always glad to see them at races. But I was interested in how that sort of spirit around black girls run and around making open, diverse um, uh, welcoming spaces for all sorts of different runners of all shapes and sizes and speeds um, informed her approach to uh, running nerds and perhaps maybe the way that you could feel some of that influence in the way that she directs races these days. Uh, she had an interesting answer. Oh, that is a, a great question. I'm so glad you asked, asked it. Um, like I mentioned before, I always want a running nerds event or run social or, you know, I, I'm a race director for a few different clients where we're behind the scenes, so we're not the forefront of it. But if, if at any point anyone ever found out that or realized that, hey, running nerds was behind that or Tess was behind that, I want the common theme to be that it was welcoming, it was organized, it was great for a beginner all the way to someone who is competitive and wants a quality race. So. That to me, that's what uh, you know. BGR, like I said, is a great starting point for women of color and Black women in particular. We have a lot of stigmas that keep us from getting involved in running or any kind of athletic, um, any kind of athletic endeavor. In our, you know, one just being a woman in general and all the things that you have to <laughs> juggle as a woman, you know to, you know, being um, underrepresented in the sport, so it's not a sport that we see role models growing up in distance running. Track and field, yes, but not distance running, not American women. And then three, you know, this is something you guys can do the research to figure out why this is such a big deal, but our hair is a big deal um, with, you know, sweating. You know, black women's hair doesn't bounce back like white women and other nationalities here. So our hair is a very big deal. So um, all that to say, we want to create events where you feel like you are represented, whether it be your, your interest level, your skill level, your, um, your nationality, whatever it may be. And then we also want to create events that are fun because no one's going to come out to a race if it's just torture for three miles, ten miles, whatever it is, you know. So we wanted to be fun. So I think that that's what being a part of EGR gave me that experience because the reason why I kept coming back was because I was seeing and meeting women that were like me. Um, we would we would sign up for races as a group and and enjoy those races, and we and then we saw ourselves getting better, and it was a healthy outlet. So. I hope that our races provide that for everyone, but especially I'm very proud to represent the black running community as a race director because there's not very many of us out there. So I'm proud of that. Um, at this point, we were kind of interested in exploring this idea a little bit further. Um, both Patrick and I could attest from our experiences at Running Nerds Races, mine at the ATL 20K Relay and his at the Monday Night Brewing 10-Miler, uh, that they do tend to be much more diverse races, and they do tend to have a more festive atmosphere. And those two things kind of seem to feed one another. The diverse crowd feeds the festive atmosphere, and the festive atmosphere probably attracts a more diverse crowd. Um, and so we, we 
wanted to talk to Tess a little bit more and ask her a little bit more about kind of how she goes about crafting races and trying to create that environment uh, that will be festive and welcoming. Um, and specifically, we wanted to hear more about the uh, Monday Night Brewing 10-miler. I think there might be a reason why Patrick wanted to hear more about that one. Well, yeah, definitely. And um, first of all, let me just make sure that Patrick doesn't play the super humble role, but he's been a champion of the Monday Night Westside 10 Do you know how many years you've won it? I know at least two, right? Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, so, you know, don't and, and our inaugural Monday Nighter, he also was a champion there, too. So, let's right not, not pass up on that opportunity. But, no, um, and Patrick, you might have noticed the um, the rebranding of our race series. So, I used to refer to all of the races that we put on as the Running Nerds Racing Series. Uh, and then two years ago, we rebranded everything to run social race series. So it's still running nerds put on the events, but the series of races are run social, and that, that wording is intentional. All of our races are running events that have a social aspect to them. So we added the um, Top Ball 5K, the Urban Tree Cidery 5K, um, and then we just put the uh, the Monday night races and the, um, the ATL race, and then we kept one of our one-mile races from our – um, one mile race series, um, which is the West End Mile, um, which now is affiliated also with Monday night because it's right across the street from, it finishes right across the street from the garage. So all of those races are, as you said, intentional on being races that you can run, but you're not going to just want to hang up, I mean, uh, pack up and leave right afterwards. You, you're going to want to stick around and enjoy the, the, um, the venue and hopefully meet new runners and hang out with your friends. So that's the idea. Tess went on to tell us about a couple of other races that she's directed, including most notably the Top Golf 5K. The Top Golf 5K, as the name suggests, is a 5K that runs over a lot of the same course as the Monday Night Brewery 10 miler, but it runs it in the opposite direction. Um, and then afterwards you get two hours of top golf for free as included as part of your registration fee. A lot of the people that run the race, the majority of people that run the race, then stick around, they play top golf, and they nerd out about running and about the race itself. So an interesting approach there, definitely encouraging more people to, to show up and then socialize as part of the, the road race process there. Very cool. Um, Patrick, being a fan of sports other than just endurance sports, wanted to circle back and talk more about Tess's basketball background. Uh, And so the next question he had for her was about what sort of things she learned as a basketball player that then she could translate into running uh, specifically and into race directing more generally. Well, from the athlete's perspective, not a lot. Like I said, we were lazy basketball athletes. Um, <laughs> like endurance is not the the most important thing to a basketball athlete. Explosiveness and speed and obviously skillful. But what I will say is my race directing, I learned a lot from my time as a basketball coach. Mm-hmm. Like all just being kind of like, um, so you think of it like a basketball game is a two-hour event. You, know, you go in it with a plan. You have an opponent. You you know, your team shows up and plays and executes that game plan. If you think of it in terms of a season, you have multiple games, a season plan. That plan can change from game to game, but 
overall you kind of come into the season with a plan. So I look at, like, my individual races as, like, game days and the, the, the full year of races and events as, like, a season. So those, a lot of those lessons have carried over. Um, but I, I'll honestly say that there's not a lot of uh, carryover from being a basketball athlete to being a distance runner. Uh, it's just a totally different mentality. I, well, I'll say this. I wasn't afraid of the the suffering that came with getting better. I, I, that definitely carried over. Because, you know, when you're out of shape for any sport, getting in shape sucks. So I knew that there was going to be a period when I first started running and whenever I kind of go into a lapse and have to get back to a certain um, level, I'm not afraid or turned off by that that suffer period that you have to go through, you know? Yes, indeed. That sort of struggling to get back into shape when you've fallen out of shape is something that we are all very familiar with as runners. Um, I have often said that there is nothing better than running when you're in shape and there's nothing worse than running when you're out of shape. And, and that's something that Tess learned from basketball that, that applied to her as a runner. So I wanted to get back to running. And so at this point I said, uh, Tess, tell us a little bit more about yourself as a runner. Uh, do you run your own races? What sort of races do you have on your calendar? What races do you have coming up this year? Uh, and she told us about a few different races that she does, including the Austin Marathon that she ran just this year. So I, I vow to never become that race director that doesn't run. I don't want to be that chick. Um, you know, most of the race directors, um, the majority are older white men, and they're all, like, they all have, like, guts, and they walk around bossing everybody around. I don't want to be that. I mean, obviously, I will never be an old white man, but I definitely don't want the gut. In the <laughs> so I do uh, maintain a, a running calendar. I'm not able to run my own races just because there's just too much going on. Um, but I did run. We did the one-mile race series for two years, and I actually ran all of those races, which I was very proud of. Because I was only gone for seven minutes. So I was like, if, if things go, if the shit hits the fan in seven minutes, then I don't need to be doing this. So I was able to do this. <laughs> right. And then, um, right. And last year, I um, jumped in on one of the relay teams for the ATL relay. But I was on the phone. I had my phone with me the whole time I was running. Because that's a 5K. Um, and I only had to take, take two calls dealing with the race while I was running. So uh, other than that. But, yeah, for the longer races, I definitely um, – but I, I do maintain um, a running calendar. I, I really like 5Ks and half marathons, um, and I do one marathon a year. Um, I've cut back quite a bit on my my um, number of races that I do um, since I got married and started directing more races. But I try, I try to do at least one race a month. Sometimes I end up doing two. Um, and one marathon a year. And I've already done my marathon this year, so it's been kind of a lazy second half of the year. That, that was that was my next question. What's your marathon this year? What would you run? I did the Austin Marathon this year. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. And it was in February, so my training was like literally the winter. <laughs> so that was a little rough. But, um, but I knew the second half of the year was going to be crazy, so I wanted to get my marathon out of the way early. Um, but, yeah, it was great. I highly recommend it. Austin's a great town. Next, we wanted to talk a little bit about the link between Tess the racer and Tess the race director. I wanted to know a little bit more about 
what was in her head when she would run a race. Specifically, when she's on a race course, be it her race or somebody else's race, is she looking at the placement of the cones or the signs or where the volunteers are or something else like that? Or is she able to focus on her race? Is she so in that mindset of a race organizer that she's not able to simply focus on the running that she's doing um, and, and, and run her best race? Um, and then Patrick, on the other hand, was, was more interested in what sort of things that she as a race director would suggest to people who are running races who have never directed them uh, that maybe we didn't know and that maybe she wishes that we did know. So she had some interesting things to share there. You know, we've added more and more um, things to our abilities to put on races. So uh, three years ago, we added coning. So I actually pay attention to the cones and directional signage. And when I'm running, I, I I critique big time. I'm like, there's no cones there. I pay attention to the cops. And if they're paying attention, because we have to pay them. So I'm like, are these cops really out here on their cell phones? And I'm paying them all this money to, <laughs> to, to you know, protect the runners. So, yeah, I, I definitely pay attention to a lot of things. Um, and I and I even like to volunteer um, for races just to, you know, keep my keep, stay fresh on being on the other side. So um, I try to volunteer at least um, once a year for Atlanta track club events, but I like to run their races. So it's hard to volunteer and run, but I try to, um, stay in tune with, you know, all the latest, um, the latest and greatest on, you know, just putting on a quality event. So the thing that really comes up is I always tell people plant, chart out what you think is going to be your budget and what you think your goal is for raising funds to cover that budget. Cause a lot of people think that five K's make all this money and I'm, I'm here to tell the world, 5Ks do not make money. You don't make money by saying 200 people show up and run a 5K. Um, I mean, the quick math is really easy. If you're charging $25 a person and you get 100 people, that's $2,500, right? Mm-hmm. It costs, on average, for like a low-budget race that if, if you're not going to give out a T-shirt and you're not going to officially time the race, you can probably put on a race for about three to $5,000. Um, if you're getting everything donated, maybe you can cut those. But on average, it's about eight to $10,000 put on a, a decent 5K. So if you're, on, if you're getting 100 runners at $25 a person, you can do the math. It's not a moneymaker. Um, so I just, my biggest thing is just making sure people understand the budget and the realist, real, real, realistic uh, money-making potential of a 5K, especially nonprofits and organizations that are trying to do it as a fundraiser. Because I see too often they get in and they go, they get in over their head and they end up losing money and it defeats the whole purpose of putting on the event. So then it's the next year, that's when I get the call as a race director. Some people want to come in and have me consult. And I keep it real with people. I don't try to paint some picture that you're going to make ten grand for your scholarship fund with a 5K, unless you're getting big time sponsors or a lot of the the items that you typically pay for donated. You're not making money on a 5K. Or or if you are blessed to have a race that's going to draw a thousand people. Now you get into numbers, that's a different story. But most charity 5Ks are not going to pull in more than 200 to 300 runners in an inaugural year. So I think runners can just be a little more aware and, and sensitive to the fact that these are people putting on these events, you know, and I, and I'm not to throw rock and roll series under the bus, but rock and roll is a company 
that has employees with with health insurance plans and 401ks and they're employed. Races like mine and my, and my races and most of the, the small one-off races that you see or even small series, it's one person and a bunch of really great volunteers. So I think if you keep that in your mind, that would really form your responses and your demands on a lot of these races. Um, you know, I have first world problems. I, I'm not going to ever complain about, you know, people not reading their emails and stuff like that. I'll joke about it, but at the end of the day, if somebody chooses to spend their 30 to 50 bucks on something that I'm putting on, I am grateful. So I'll answer every email, every, you know, Facebook messenger, whatever. But I think if people could be a little more sensitive to the fact that these are these events are being put on by people, not robots, that would, would shape how they communicate with us. You know, we have to make decisions. We have to make decisions well in advance. We have to make decisions well in advance on a lot of the things that go into putting on a race. So when you're when you make the decision to register or contact us about something two weeks in advance, a lot of times that decision has already been made four weeks ago. So you know. Right. So that would be and 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 I even look at myself as a local race director. I'm okay with educating people on some of those things. So if someone emails me a question, I'll I'll take the time to explain to them why a thing is the way it is. Like, for instance, this is a great example. We went away from doing um, race day packet pickup for the Monday night during Westside 10. Actually, we've never done race day. And I'll get a few people who complain about that. But if you think about it, we are out in the middle of Howell Mill Road at 7 o'clock in the morning and in potentially freezing cold weather. So for me to ask, you know, an extra 10 volunteers to show up early <laughs> to do a packet pickup, you know, it, it's just not worth it. So that's like, like that's the reason why we don't do pay, race day packet pickup. But on the other side of it, we offer five days of packet pickup the week leading up to the race. Anyone can pick up for you. And if you really, really can't get there, I will hold your bib for you if you ask in advance. So it's like we we make sure we accommodate as much as possible, but there's a reason. It's not just being mean and not wanting to set up a packet pickup. So, you know, little things like that. I think most, the majority, I would say 95% of runners are great about everything. It's that small percentage that will just send a nasty email and just not consider it of the fact that this is an individual with, you know, we're not a corporation. We're, you know, my my office is in my basement, so. <laughs> One theme that seemed to be developing throughout the course of our conversation with Tess was the uniqueness of her events. Of course, we already talked at great length about the unique people that come to her event and about how her events reach out to a unique blend of different runners. Um, but also the events themselves are, are very unique as well, not just because they're combined with Top Golf, and not just because they start and end at, at uh, breweries and other places where people can socialize, but also because the races themselves seem to be unique. Um, there's not a whole lot of 10-mile races out there, but yet the Monday Night Brewing 10-mile is one of them. Uh, and so we, we want to talk a little bit 
bit more about a couple of unique events. Uh, two of them in particular we, we asked Tess about. The first one was the, the so-called big group run, um, and she's going to tell us a little bit more about that. Now, that's not a race. That's a run, but uh, literally the big group run is what Running Nerds calls it. Uh, and then the second one is the Atlanta 20K Relay, in which you can run a 20K, but you can also run 4x5K with three of your uh, running partners, um, or you can run 2x10K with one of your running partners. So a lot of different options there. But but a, a relay race in which everyone runs a 5K is, is not a race that... that exists in many other locales and so we want to hear a little bit more about the way that she came up with some of these unique race formats uh, here's what she had to say so the big old group run this is going to be our fifth year putting on the big old group run um and it's just what it says we we ask all of the running group organizations teams for this one night a year just to you know come out and run with your group with all the other groups in atlanta um, and we, we typically have about 40 different run clubs that come out represented. Um, and, yeah, we just want everyone to be represented. It's not about necessarily about getting the most people. It's about getting the most groups represented. Um, it usually averages out to about 400 runners will come out. Um, the first two years we did it at Monday Night Brewing um, off Trabert. So that was really awesome. And Monday Night, I just can't thank them enough. They They basically – take some ideas that I have and they allow me to bring runners to their brewery, you know? So to me, it's a no brainer, but, um, you know, they allowed us to host that event two years in a row. And then we did one year at urban trees when they first opened and they loved that. And that's what kind of motivated them to want to host the urban tree cidery 5k. And then, um, this year, last year and this year, we we're at Pont city market, which is a ton of fun and city winery. Um, will be hosting our post, post-run party everybody gets a, a glass of wine and we do a big raffle and it's just a big social so we we meet up at Pond City Market um we take a big old group picture and I think hopefully you guys have seen our pictures where all the run groups are represented um we run three to five miles and it's just a group run it's not a race so you you take off we're going to use the belt line quite a bit a bit of the belt line um and then when you finish we just have a big big party so that's the big old group run. Definitely, we aim to be unique and, and serve a need with all of our races. And you're going to go in and out saying our and me because, like I said, I have some, some amazing people who have, and they're technically just volunteers, that they volunteer their time. I have a volunteer coordinator, you know, my partner in crime, Shanta McMillan. She's like my right hand, left hand foot, all that. So I'll go back and forth between saying we and me, but it's really we most of the time. So, but anyway, um, but yeah, we definitely aim to be unique with our events. Um, with the ATL relay. So this was the second race that, um, I ever put on and it was the same year, 2012, right after the running nurse 5k, the dust settled. And I was like, man, that was really fun. Um, I want to put on another race and, I had participated up to that point in the Mercedes-Benz relay that they do in Alabama and also the, I don't know if you guys remember the old um, Atlanta Marathon relay. And those were like, yeah, those are two of my favorite events because um, I just love the whole team aspect. It kind of reminded me of my, my team days as a basketball player. But one of the challenges with that, that model was that the shortest distances were like five miles, and I think the uh, Mercedes has two 5K legs. 
And so it wasn't really, like, beginner-friendly. So kind of going back to that, like, newer runner, I was like, well, the best model would be a 5K relay because you can get the, the competitive 5K runners to come out, and you can get people who 5K is still kind of a challenge for them, and they wouldn't be intimidated by being on a relay team if it was only a 5K. So that was the concept behind that. And I chose Castleberry Hill. I was literally driving um, down Walker Street, which is kind of a cut-through from um, – West End to downtown. I lived in the West End at the time. And I just visualized people running down Walker Street. And I stopped at the first business, which was Nomas Cantina. And I said, would you guys be interested in sponsoring a 5K? <laughs> <laughs> and they are, to this day, they are one of our sponsors for the ATO Relay. So I put the, the event out there as a relay and a 10K. Mm-hmm. So the original name for the race was the ATO Relay and 10K. I had about 20 people email me and say, hey, I don't want to do a relay. I just want to run the 20K myself. So I was like, okay, but you, you know you're going to be doing loops. It's not going to be a 20K course. They're like, that's fine. So I added the 20K registration, um, and we had about 75 people signed up for the 20K individual. So that's why it's still um, a smaller event. We usually get about 100 people who do 20K individual because it's four 5K loops which is off. I don't know why people sign up for it. The people who do it love it, but yeah. I don't think I would ever sign up for a 20K. <laughs> so we really do it up big for the 20K. They get the bigger medal. They get a VIP experience after the race at um, a spa that's right there in Castleberry Hills. They've opened their door. Even Garden Day Spa, they've opened their doors every year. To our 20K, we give them food and massage and all that stuff. So it's like a, like a, a perk and a, a – um, what is it? A rite of passage to do the 20K. You do those four loops, we're going to treat you right. So <laughs> the race is on August 25th, so you can you can still register for the 20K. That that was kind of how this, the ACO um, came about. And, of course, the relay is the, the real big part of it. We have about 500 relay participants, about 200 10K participants, and about 100 um, 20K participants. So it's a, I call that a small. It's still kind of a small, middle-sized race. And we like that number because, Everyone gets a chance to experience, you know, it's a, just a festive environment because of the relay. You know, everyone's kind of hanging out. Some teams will set up tents where they have their kind of headquarters. You get cheers every time you run by. It's just a lot of fun. The last thing we wanted to talk about with Tess was her newest race. It's a half marathon coming up this October called The Race. Uh, and she went about funding it and spreading the word for it in a unique way. She, she began a Kickstarter campaign um, and invited on a lot of corporate sponsors. And so um, I'm going to let her tell you a little bit more about, about the, the nature of that race and the uniqueness of that race uh, here to, to wrap things up. As, as we've alluded to several times, you know, it's important to me that um, elite-level runners, competitive runners get, you know, a quality event just as much as it's important that new runners and, and people who are just everyday weekend warriors. I'm, I'm one of those weekend warriors. I'm, I'm the middle, you know. So it's important that everyone feels like they have um, a great experience. So, um, But, yeah, thank you guys for, for participating in the past. I hope, you know, we can definitely get you out to as many events as, it, as, it, as that works for your calendar. In October, um, hold on, no, November. We actually launched a Kickstarter campaign for what is now known as the race. 
And this is a half marathon and 5K weekend that's going to be taking place in Atlanta on October 13th. And we're going to be running through the west side neighborhoods of Atlanta, which um, I don't know how familiar you guys are with some of those neighborhoods, but they are some of the historically black neighborhoods, um, including like the AUC where like Clark, Morehouse, Spelman are located. So we did a Kickstarter campaign um, in November to get support from the national running community. Uh, we were fully um, supported. We hit our Kickstarter goal. Are you guys familiar with how Kickstarter works? Yes. Mm-hmm. So we are. Uh, we did our Kickstarter campaign. Our target um, amount was sixty thousand dollars, which basically was race registration pledges. So the reward for the backers was a registration if we were successful. So we, we were successful. We opened up registration for the race on January 15th. And as of yesterday, we have about 800 registered runners from 33 different states. Of course, Georgia is the number one um, represented state. Um, but we are super excited about this event. Um, you know, kind of piggybacking off of your your question earlier about how my experience as a African-American woman coming into running um, has impacted the events that I put on. Um, this, this event is really like the, 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 what, how do I want to say this? Um, this event really is my kind of like tribute to the sport of running as a black female. Does that make sense? Um, because we, we identified that we have some amazing events here in Atlanta. Atlanta is, is Running City USA. And I know you guys have heard about the, the Atlanta Track Club campaign, Running City USA. Um, and I, I was honored to be a part of that campaign um, as well. <clears throat> but, you know, we, we felt like if this race was going to be put on, this race with this kind of concept and, and theme, um, that it needed to be here in Atlanta. So. I took the lead as running nerds, as a race director, on putting on the event, but we've gotten um, support from the national running scene. We have about 130 or so African-American running clubs across the nation, um, whether it be, like, just a crew, a club, you know, the whole spectrum of different ways you can identify as a running group. And, and we've, we've gotten the support of the majority of those for this event, and they're coming, they're coming to Atlanta to represent, so... Um, but obviously, it's an open event to the public um, for any any runner that wants to participate. But our, our main um, focus and, and our main purpose is to showcase running in these neighborhoods and also give our um, running community um, give some give a, a, a put on a legacy event for our running community that everyone can be proud of. So um, I'll send you guys some. Um, some links that you can check out. We have a website. Um, you can check out our, our video that we put out for Kickstarter to get support for the race. And, um, you know, if you guys are, are interested in participating in the event, let me know. And, um, you know, I would love the, the support from all of our running community on, on this particular event. Um, but it's been a fun journey um, putting this on. And like I said, we have 33 States represented in our registration already, which I'm super proud of. I'm actually going to New York this weekend to meet up with some of the running groups from New York to talk about the race. Um, 
and uh, it's going to be special, definitely. If you want to know a little bit more about the race, you can check out the website at theraceuc.com. You can register there. You can read more about it there. Uh, you can view the original Kickstarter video there in which Tess talks a little bit about what some of her intentions for establishing the race were. Um, and you can become a sponsor of the race if you want, if, you, if, if you're so inclined to do that. Uh, the highest level sponsor I appreciated was called the Vibranium Level Sponsor. Uh, the nerd in me appreciates that. Not the running nerd, the other nerd in me appreciated that. Um, but let's, uh, let's get, let Tess get the last few words here. I appreciate the, the platform, the opportunity, and you guys, um, just promise me if there's ever anything that you feel like we could be doing for the community or doing better, just, you got my number, you got my, my direct email. Well, actually, do you have my email? Runningers at gmail.com. So whenever you get emails from me, that's me writing to you. So like anything you get about running nerds or run social, that's me. So. Just reply to that. <laughs> Guys, have a great day. Thank you. And that'll do it for another edition of the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. Don't forget, if you want to send me an email, send it to george at itlcoaching.com. If you want to send Patrick an email, send it to patrick at itlcoaching.com. If you want to send us both an email, you can send it to those addresses, or you can send it to the podcast email, pleasantpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can also find the podcast on Facebook, facebook.com slash pleasantpodcast, um, or on Twitter, at pleasantpodcast. If you want to check out ITL Coaching and Performance, go to itlcoaching.com. Follow them on Twitter, at itlcoaching, or on Facebook, facebook.com slash itlcoachingandperformance. And finally, for all your travel needs, don't forget about Blue Pineapple Travel. Find Blue Pineapple Travel at bluepineappletravel.com, on Facebook at facebook.com slash bluepineappletravel, or on Instagram, instagram.com slash bluepineappletravel. On behalf of Patrick Ollinger, this is George Darden. We appreciate your listening to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast.